Welcome back into this week's edition of the Wildcats Press Pass. I'm Cameron Beal with Bracket Lions alongside. And this week, the story is with, well, we were thinking it was just going to be women's soccer, but after the men's game last night, we figured we'd rope them in too. So we have Bracket here to talk about that later on. But we're going to start with Josh Shaw, who's been on the beat for the women's soccer team. They've had a tough go of it, you know, most of the season to this point after a strong campaign in the spring. But they've won their last two consecutive three and oh, uh, three to nothing victories. Josh, just what have you seen from the team? What have you heard from Steve Wallum? Uh, well, you know, it's like a tale of two cities. The opening page, um, it was the best of times. It was the worst of times. It was a team that could defend. It was a team that could not score. But now they've kind of put both things together, and things are clicking, like you mentioned. Um, the offense has really just turned it around. They were terrible. They were shut out four times in their la- in their first, I, I want to say, nine games and only had, I think, eight goals through that span. Uh, but now they've got six goals over the last two games. They changed to a 4-4-2 diamond formation. Uh, as of late, that has really changed and opened things up for Francesca Pacicci, of course. Um, Brackett knows more about soccer formations than I do. So if he, <laughs> if he wants to elaborate on the 4-4-2 diamond, by all means. But I mean, I haven't. I have to admit, I'm the men's soccer reporter. I haven't been watching what? the women's <laughs> games. But 4-4-2 um, diamond is generally thought to open up your midfield play a bit more and make it a little less linear. And I think Pachichi mentioned herself. It allowed her to get more kind of one-on-one chances against a defender instead of having to be the, the target woman in the box. Yeah, yeah. I mean, Cam and I have talked about this in privately a little bit here when you commentated a game, I think, two weeks ago, that it seemed like their offense was very stagnant in the sense it was like, chip it forward up the field, hope you can outrace the defenders, get there and try and make an opportunity. But as of late, it's been more working it in the midfield, trying to get those one-on-one chances like Brackett mentioned, and kind of cash in there instead of just hoping and praying you're kind of faster than everyone else. Yeah, going back to that game, like you said, that I was at, I think it was the UMass Lowell game. And just to draw a comparison to what we're going to get to in a minute, the offense that night looked very similar to what we saw from Yale last night in the men's game. Like, honestly, like, little to no strategy, if you want to put it like that. <laughs> yeah. Honestly, launch it forward and hope someone gets it gets to it. Like, Yale came in last night. It looked like they were hoping for a 0-0 draw. And, you know, that's what we saw in that game. So I was, I again, I'm not the, not the biggest soccer guy, so I'll leave it to you two. But I just didn't really understand the, the thought process um, of a, an offensive attack like that. But it seems like the, the formation change has been the the deciding factor and what's had them clicking the last few games. Yeah, I mean, still keeping that defensive strength that they've had all season two is another huge part of it. I mean, Cat Shepard is back-to-back shutouts here, um, which is great. I mean, it just feels like they figured out their biggest weakness and over or still maintain their greatest strength. Um, so, if you're a women's soccer fan, I would get down to Wildcat Stadium or go to the U Main game this uh, this Thursday, which would be tomorrow at seven. Border battle. Uh, Coach Wilm is very excited about that. Uh, so, yeah, I mean, I'm not sure what else we want to talk about with this. but uh, And so conference play, it's kind of winding down where they have four, five games left? Four, yes. Four games left. So conference play winding down the regular season. So where do they currently stand in terms of the playoff picture? And do what are their, their chances of making it at this point? Well, they're currently sixth in the America East um, with seven points. I believe they are tied with – give me one second here if I can click on a tab. Uh, so they've got a two-way tie with Hartford for fifth, I would say, essentially. Um, a win tomorrow would put them to 10 points, which would talk them over um, third place Vermont. So it's pretty congested right now in the America East, and a win here is just going to be huge. Um, so it's not a situation where they have to win out, per se, 
but a win here would really help, you know, cement them from the pack and give themselves more of a, a room to stand on with the rest of the games. And last time we spoke about this, the kind of the middle of the conference, there was a big log jam in the middle. So we said, you know, UNH could jump and potentially even host a, a tournament game. Is that still the case in the middle of the conference down there? Yeah, I would say. I mean, UMass, UMass Lowell and Binghamton pretty much have the top two spots solidified. They got 12 points each. UNH has lost to UMass Lowell already. Uh, I'm blanking on the Binghamton game. I'm not sure if they played each other quite yet. Um, so I don't think they can really catch that and get that one seed or something like that. But they could surely host a playoff game if they, you know, keep it going and, and piece it together from here. All right, I think that's all we got for women's soccer today. Again, we're recording this on Wednesday the 13th. So who do you say they're playing tomorrow? You, Maine. Maine. In, in Durham? No. Oh, in Maine, okay. But they will be back in, in Wildcat Stadium Sunday for, uh, who is it? Oh, oh NJIT. All right, NJIT on Sunday in Durham. Thursday, they're headed up to Orono, and we're going to shift gears here. I m- mentioned it earlier. Men's soccer was handed their first draw of the season last night in Wildcat Stadium to the Yale Bulldogs bracket. Yeah, this one this one came out of nowhere. I mean, I think – I hope the team wasn't guilty of it. It might have looked like it last night. I was certainly guilty of it. I looked past this game. I was focused on Vermont. That still is a big game, but oh, boy. Oh, boy. This was – an ugly, ugly draw that could have very easily turned into a loss if not for some you know, heroic saves from Jocelyn Coley lot. Yeah, uh, yeah, so UNH, they got the first goal with, I believe, about 36 minutes to go in the second half. And they kind of put themselves on cruise control through most of the second half because the offense wasn't really working as much as it had been. And then Yale gets the equalizer three and a half to play. And from that point on, from that three-and-a-half-minute mark at the end of regulation through the two overtimes, Yale, I don't want to say they dominated play, but they certainly had an uptick in energy. And the Wildcats had a tough tough time keeping up with them at points. And they were more dangerous. You know, maybe they don't have, you know, more of the ball, but they were doing more with it. They were, you know, hunting in the box. They looked hungry, and the Wildcats looked shell-shocked. I can chip in here real quick. So this was the patented Bracket Lions trap game from the UNH uh, radio show. Yeah, this is – I mean – I didn't want it to be a trap game. I, <laughs> well, think I don't think they did either. Game, but oh, it really was. I mean, Yale's a 500 team. The, kind of, Yale. I said this before the game. I was on the call. Yale is as mediocre as a soccer team gets. Strictly looking at the numbers, I think coming into the night they had scored 14 goals in the season, given up 13. They had a 4-4 and two record. They're dead in the middle of the pack in the Ivy League. Same record as Harvard, who UNH had already beat. As as down the middle as a soccer team gets. Yeah, and the type of team you would think UNH would you know handle with ease if they're able to play not even at their best but just their standard level and that was not there i mean ball movement was sloppy defending was defending is something that really stood out to me as sloppy you know bridger hansen did not have his best game he's an all-american it should have been better um but they just looked vulnerable throughout and eventually you know they let in a goal on what was you know a ball played into the box and you're waiting for a clearance for what felt like you know a solid two seconds and the only foot that finds it is a Yale one and that's an equalizer in the 87th minute that just drained the energy from the Wildcats and Wildcats stadium and on on the other side the attacking where do I begin I mean missed chance after missed chance Paul Mayer, who had been red hot, missed, gosh, a handful of them. At least three or four years, you yeah. know, just high, just wide on on pretty much all of them. Yeah, I mean, he got, I think Shawunmi set him up perfectly in the box. He had, you know, a good second to 
get it out from his feet and fire in a shot from maybe 12 yards out, and he missed the net entirely. Um, the lone goal, Linus Falberg, that was on a rebound after Mare had hit it off the crossbar. It fell to Falberg, and he put it in. And, you know, you think that's the lucky break UNH needs to win this one and close it out, but after the goal, they didn't look any better. They didn't look any more, you know, solid defensively. It was just, I mean, I haven't talked to Coach Hubbard yet, but I can't imagine he'd have much good to say about this one. Yeah, and a, a tie like this, again, it's only a tie in the, the timing of the game can help UNH for sure because the polls come out every Tuesday. They played Tuesday night, so they have solidified the four spot for at least another week. But not being in a Power 5 conference like the ACC, the SEC, and the Pac-12, it could really hurt UNH with this loss because you see Pitt, they're all the way up at 7, I believe, in the top 10, and they're 8-3. and three. UNH, this one tie, if they don't have a... If they don't have a convincing win over Vermont on Saturday night, th- this one tie could drop them way down in the top ten. Yeah. Get ready for them to be out of the top five. I think that this tie almost guarantees that. I think you know if they beat Vermont, they'll be in the top ten, but they're going to need to put some goals past Vermont, which is not the easiest thing to do. Vermont's a, solid, a solid team in defense, so it's going to be a test and, you know, Every game with playing in the America East feels like a must win, but now that pressure is really building. Yeah, we mentioned Vermont back in the spring. That's who UNH faced in the America East Championship game. In Vermont, they had the best defense in the conference. The only issue is that they they legitimately could not put a goal on the board to save their life. They had no offense. They were all defense. And so if UNH is just able to get one across, assuming it's a similar sort of team this fall that we saw in the spring, if UNH is able to get one across, you got to feel relatively safe with their chances, but they need a convincing win this Saturday to, you know, solidify themselves in the top 10 for next Tuesday's poll. Yeah, and I think the defense needs to show up because you think if you put one across against Yale, that should be enough. That Yale attack should not have been able to to get one by us, and they could have had more. They could have had so many more, um, especially in overtime. Overtime was really shaky for the UNH defense. They looked either rattled or tired or both, but, you know, like I said, without Cole Aylott making some very clutch saves... That's the first loss of the season for the Wildcats and only the second loss ever at Wildcat Stadium. Yeah, I'm trying to think back. I think the only real opportunity I can think of, you know, legitimate chance UNH had to score after the Yale equalizer. I think it was at the very end of regulation. Rory O'Driscoll was going for the upper 90, you know, right up towards the outside of the box. Just and, missed yeah, it, yeah. Just wide. That's the only opportunity I can think of at the end of regulation in both overtime periods that they really had. And I think that's going to do it for us on this week's edition of the Wildcats Press Pass. Again, Bracket, the men's team, they're back out Saturday night. Saturday at 7. Get there, support them. They need it right now. Yep, so the football team kicks off at 1 p.m. against Dartmouth. And then the nightcap, the men's soccer team and the women's team will be back in Durham Sunday afternoon to take on... NJIT. NJIT, the Highlanders, the new addition to the America East last season. And that will do it for us this week for Cameron Beal, Bracket Lions, and Josh Shaw. Have a great week.